And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hi, John. Hi, Sam. How how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I just drank approximately 18 to 20 ounces of water in the mm-hmm. like six seconds before I said hi to you. Um, <laughs> so you're going to have to play at some point. I, I think I'll be okay. I do know that I'm I'm hydrated and ready. It's like surprisingly hot uh, in my apartment. I was going to say for what month it is, but mm-hmm. who knows when this is going to air and I don't want to burn future <laughs> me with that. So I'll say that it is unreasonably hot for the month that it is currently. <laughs> Perfect. Um, thank you for, thank you for doing this. Thank you for being here. Of course. Uh, what, what movie are we here to talk about today? Uh, we're here to talk about the 1993 film Malice, um, starring Nicole Kidman, obviously, Bill Pullman and Alec Baldwin. Uh, we are, can I ask, can I ask why, why this movie? I don't remember why I chose this movie, to be honest. I chose it so long ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And honestly, I couldn't either. Sometimes people, it's like their go-to. Um, this, no, I don't no. think, is anyone's go-to. <laughs> no, no. And I remember you gave me a list of like what was left, and I was like, I vaguely remember seeing this movie. Although, now that I think about it, and after watching it again, I think I was thinking about the movie Pacific Heights with, uh, what's his name? Batman. Um which Batman? <laughs> the first Batman, Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'm totally drawing a blank. Michael, oh, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got those two mixed up in my head, but you know, I was a kid, so. Or no, it's think... Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine. Yes. And Michael oh, okay, Keaton. Okay, there you I go. Reading. I think so. that this, uh, I don't remember where I was reading this, but I think that was on the list. Maybe it was IMDb trivia. It was, I mean, this barely counts as trivia, but it was like, this was part of like a string of like husband and wife thrillers that came out in like the early nineties. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why. And you know, I was, I think I was all of like eight, nine when this movie came out. So (laughs) they all just like went together in my brain. Oh yeah. Here's, here's the list that IMDb gives me. It gives me malice, deceived, shattered, consenting adults, presumed innocent guilty of sin sleeping with the enemy and a kiss before dying all yes. within 91 to 93 jesus wow yeah. so this is certainly one of them <laughs> yes that's for sure uh so had you actually seen this movie or was this your first time watching it i believe i had when i was like young because i remember not to jump ahead and we don't have to like get into it but i remember uh baldwin's god speech um that he gives about halfway through the movie um but honestly that was about it (laughs) yeah i i've talked about this a million times on this podcast already but uh before i decided to do this i was like trying to watch all of nicole's movies in order and i think that this was the the one that i stopped after i think this was the last one that i watched before (laughs) i was like maybe maybe this should be something else and i remember not really liking it but I actually kind of think this movie is really fun. Yeah, you know, I vacillated wildly while watching it between like, this is garbage, this is really fun, this is garbage, this is really fun. Um, and oh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't have, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, I think I came down on enjoying it for what it is. It, uh, It's a lot, it's an Aaron Sorkin script and there yes. are numerous instances where that is uh, apparent. apparent. Um, I was laughing earlier reading Peter Travers' review of this movie, saying that mm-hmm. uh, this may as well be a red herring factory, which, like, first of all, is sure. a really bad metaphor. Yes. Um, but he he also said, like, uh, essentially, <laughs> like, this movie is so extra, the way you know is because there's a serial killer plotline that is mostly there for atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's totally true. <laughs> Watching this like, the second time, I was like, that's going to pay off later. And the, the reality is that it simply does not. No, I honestly think the whole plot line is there to get Bill Pullman semen for a, for a like plot point later. Get that, get that <laughs> semen. Uh, you're, no, you're right. This movie is definitely twisty and turny um, to the point that even last night where I was like trying to explain to myself the plot afterwards, uh, right before 
and I, obviously this is jumping straight to the end, but right before like Nicole goes into the neighbor's house, I was like, wait a second, Sam, what is the plot of this movie? Like, <laughs> yeah, what is she trying to achieve? And how did this come to be? Um, yeah, no, it starts off that you think it's like, you know, a serial killer movie because it starts off with like the most hilarious idyllic score as like a young woman bikes through town. And then of course she gets attacked by someone in her house. And it's just like, that sets it up to be something that the movie is so not. And it's just a little baffling. It's so weird. Um, it's also truly the most Aaron Sorkiniest opening because it has like a children's choir singing over that score, which yeah. like we know he loves. And then it just also has like a woman who basically exists to be assaulted and like further the plot, which right. is like his other Aaron thing. Sorkin <laughs> hates women (laughs) um before we really jump in uh can i ask you if you had like a dream pick of movie i know that malice would be your first choice but if you had to choose a second one what would you have chosen i mean my favorite of hers is the the one i think she gives honestly her best performance that i don't think a lot of people think of is the others Um, it's in my top five I think it's like an insanely tricky balance to walk and she does it beautifully. It's a movie that I, I know that I like and I know that I enjoy. And then every time I put it on, it starts with that side, like that sideways laying down shot of her just waking up and screaming. And I'm like, Oh right. She's brilliant in this. Yeah. Yeah. Her big monologue at the end, you know, like that's the thing where it's just like, that's a, that's the trickiest, like, balancing act i've ever seen like her do and she does it perfectly she's a pro um she is what what do you think your first nicole movie was if you can remember back uh i'm pretty sure it was dead calm yeah that Um, tends to be a lot of people's is what i'm learning yeah because i remember seeing it i was really i've only seen it once and only when i was very young and i parts of it still stick with me um and it's hilarious because the show I'm working on now, one of our editors worked on it. <laughs> oh, really? That's fine. Yeah. I love, I've had a couple recent episodes where people have had like, I guess that's like two degrees away from Nicole, have had like two or less degrees. Um, and I'm yeah. just fascinated by it. Uh, yeah, also, she was telling me some stories oh, and it was pretty great. Nothing involving Nicole, just about like the production. Um, and it sounded like it was insane. Yeah, that was not too... That was not too far before this because in the Peter yeah. Travers review, or maybe it was this, another review that I read, um, they mentioned Dead Calm and I think either Days of Thunder or Far and Away, whichever one fits the timeline that I'm creating. And they talked about right. like her not great performances in that. And then they talked about her pitch perfect American accent in this movie, which I mostly agree with. Yeah, I do too. I think she handles it well. She really, she really like rides in that like, breathy like coquette voice in the first act which like yeah figure out it's an act but i also think it's like a way to nail that accent because there's like pretty limited yeah i actually really like the way her character is written in the first half because i was like she owns her husband like without being like a, a total nag i was like she's like the one who tells him what to do and like can turn him around on any idea he has just by like virtue of her being Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a pretty sudden turn. Cause the first time we see her, she's like an art docent. She's like volunteering with children. Yeah, and then I could the not next time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say, they say she like volunteers with kids when um, right. he visits Anne Bancroft, which that's something to talk about. Right. Um, okay, but one of the things I noticed in her first scene, like with the kids, she like tells a kid to take a plastic bag off her head, and I was like, "Oh, that is coming back somewhere in this." Oh yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into it because that's one of the first notes that I have is like there are so I've been um, made fun of just a little for overusing the phrase Chekhov's gun on this podcast, but there are like, yeah. there's a full Chekhov's arsenal in this movie. Of things that, sure. like, they can't For wait to sure. show you in an insert that this will be important later. Right. It's like, why does the camera land here? I don't, I wonder. <laughs> there are so many. Um, you, there's also a ton of like 
just like dated idioms that like I'm sure Aaron Sorkin thought were so funny. Like, oh my God. The first He's, thing that Alec Baldwin says is like, well, I wouldn't bet the ranch on it. It's just like, is that cool? He always does. He did that in West Wing. Like, like I'm a, actually a massive West Wing fanboy. I've seen like every episode four or five times. Um, but he does, he always does that where he puts in these like really old idioms coming out of relatively young people's mouths. And it's always like, what? Yeah, there's another one. There's another one later, but I'm just like, is this, is this good? <laughs> is this? Yeah. Um, we mentioned it just briefly, but this movie does open with kind of like a an unseen, like criminal strangling a, a girl who's like getting home and like playing right. with her cat, which is uh, really cool, really cool mm-hmm. use of a female character here. Uh, yeah. And that kind of sets the plot in motion because this girl gets taken to the hospital uh, and is ultimately operated on by Alec Baldwin, whose name is mm-hmm. Jed Hill, Galloping Jed Hill, which is <laughs> so dumb. Uh, yeah. And um, already I was thinking of that scene in Juno where Ellen Page is like giving birth and she's like screaming in pain. Mm-hmm. And Alice and Janney like says that doctors are assholes who like to play God and watch lesser people suffer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oscar winner Alice and Janney says doctors are God. Oh God, don't get me started on that. Uh, (laughs) um, But like this movie sets itself up as what feels like it's going to be like a love triangle kind of situation between the three of them. And at first I was like, oh God, is this going to be a serial killer movie when it's very obvious who the killer is going to be because Alec Baldwin's a total like narcissistic asshole. But that's not yeah. really what it is. There are only at that point there are only two choices. It's either Alec Baldwin, the obvious choice, or you think they're going to do a bait and switch, and it's going to be Bill Pullman. And uh, right, it turns out that we just we will spend very little time with that serial killer. Yeah. Also, Bill Pullman, you know, the world's biggest beta male in the '90s, besides being the president that one time. Yeah. Um, he's like he's like the perfect like. Walk all over me, please. Person. Yeah, he gets. I mean, he gets cucked hard in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, the love triangle also immediately gets shattered because Nicole like tells him uh, that she's. I, I don't remember what she says she's doing, but she says like her friend Kathy's going to drop her off, and then and it then, ends up yeah. being it, it ends up being um, what's Peter, Gallagher. Peter Gallagher, right? Okay. Yeah, Bill Pullman's brother in the romantic comedy while you were sleeping <laughs> so right. It, right it preceded that there's also <laughs> there's also an incredibly cringy line in that scene when she's telling him that like her female friend is going to drop her off or he's like really concerned about the serial killer and she's just like right. she'll hire air coverage or something like that yeah Fine. and then he, he and then bill pullman's like oh i married a funny woman I'm like did you no, he married that what, funny. He married what Aaron Sorkin thinks is a funny woman. Right. <laughs> uh, she gets dropped off, as we mentioned, by Peter Gallagher, and Bill Pullman is just standing in the window looking at her. Um, yeah. And he's and she again, says, she overpowers him because she's like, were you looking at me? He's like, no, I was just looking at the window. <laughs> yeah, she yells at him. She has a reason. She's like, he was helping me plan my dead mother's estate. Um, I will say that there was um, one of those little countertop kitchen televisions which makes me think of eyes wide shut so i'm drawing a cinematic parallel here oh there you go uh it also cuts to a scene right after where they're eating chinese food in bed which is one of my like i i the thought of eating in bed makes me so upset oh my god me too also the way she like feeds it to him i was like i can't look at the screen right now (laughs) like it was like i know it's supposed to be like sexy but it was just so like these two have no sexual chemistry whatsoever (laughs) there's no sexual chemistry it's also really pathetic because like he also he's also like can i use a fork like walk 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 i can't use chopsticks and you're just like you are such a sad sack already at this point and we're supposed to find this sexy and right we just simply can't also there's a child watching you guys bang Oh my god. (laughs) That was absolutely I was like, what is happening? Like they turned off the lights, but the last shot is the kid looking directly like in the window still. Yeah, he's next door. He has like a like a synth keyboard and he's just watching them. 
Um, this is also yes. where I realized that Nicole Kidman's character's name was Tracy. It might be said earlier than this, but I just rolled my eyes all the way back <laughs> into my head and then it came around. Yeah. It's when we I find mean, out that it was like a professor-student marriage because we get a beautiful insert shot of a newspaper yeah. article framed on the hall tree right next to the front door, exactly where you right. would put that. Yeah, and it's just like in big bold letters, like professor and favorite student like get married, and I'm like, oh, it's it's really bad. We should also mention that Bill Pullman is a professor at um, Alex Smith. Is it Smith? I can't. It, doesn't, I honestly it truly can't. doesn't matter. But uh, also, I think he's a, a dean at this point, associate dean. Yeah, I think so. Oh, that Not makes that it sense. Really matters. That makes sense when he's talking about like the Gwyneth Paltrow stuff, which we'll get to. But um, right, I bring it up now just so we can talk about BB Newworth because she's already been introduced at this point. Oh yeah, uh, you know, doing her best Boston accent. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait. I'm not going to ask you now, but just know that at a certain point you'll have to rate the accents in this movie, and this okay. will certainly be something that has to be discussed. But yeah, she comes in hot to yeah, interact she with does. Bill Pullman uh, because he's mad that there's not more security, and she's, I don't know, just mad. Yeah, she's a police officer, but or a detective or something, but seems like she's only assigned to the school because she's hanging around the school a lot. Yeah, she has the same... She seems to have the same job as like Loretta Devine in the Urban Legend movies. Urban where Legend, she's like yes. just a campus cop exclusively. <laughs> right. She's just very concerned about the safety of the school. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I think, oh, there's another awful, awful line in this scene where Jed shows up at the house where he's like, oh, this is also where I'm going to talk about mother here because. Bill Pullman is like refinishing their home and anytime right. literally anytime I see homes being remodeled, I just think of mother. Um yeah. also because she's taking like mystery medicine and has abdominal pains, and I'm just like, mother. Oh, uh, right. Maybe but, that's what actually inspired Aronofsky. I mean, when you look for mother parallels, you will find them everywhere. They <laughs> it's like when you're looking for a new car and you start seeing it everywhere on the road. It's the same thing. Right. Um, right. But Alec Baldwin shows up and like interrupts him and he says like, how are you? And Bill Pullman says he has a headache and he just is like, you should take a B complex. Right. And then stops himself because he's, you know, being too smart or whatever. Yeah. He says like, it's so stupid because that line is dumb. And then Sorkin writes another line of dialogue and says like, like, listen to me. Like, I sound so dumb for telling you that you should take a vitamin when like the solution is just close the door. And like, really, that's what Sorkin thinks is clever. And it's like, no, that's just as bad. Right. It's also bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think of Alec in this? Um, I I mean, I think he's so hot, first of all. Yeah, this was in, when he was in his just like... He's like right coming out of the like really young, but not yet into like 40s. He's so hot. There's that scene where he like... Because what happens in this scene those of you listening is uh, he ends up renting a room from them, which like, cause he's looking for a place. So he's staying with them temporarily, which Nicole does not like. Uh, but he ends up sleeping with, is it the nurse from next door? Is that what I understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the nurse. So he sleeps with the nurse for next door. And like, there's a shot of him like laying naked on the bed, but the woman is laying on top of him. So you just get like a long, like it's like side boob, but it's his whole body. It's like side body. And it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's very nice is what I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, I always forget how um, hairy Alec Baldwin is too until he's shirtless. I'm like, Jesus Christ! Yeah, those scenes at the uh, like at the house that looks like that Meryl Streep's house in the series of unfortunate events movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> precariously perched on the end of a cliff. Yeah, those scenes. I was just like, Woof. you probably asked me how I think about his performance, but I turned that into a yeah. question of his looks. I think he's fine. I think he's like overacty but i think at a certain point the movie explicitly tells us that that's the point right yeah i think he's like pretty good um i will say like that monologue he has in the middle i think is like really fun and he's super condescending um to peter gallagher and i was like is this like all people asked alec baldwin to do after glenn glenn ross is like deliver a monologue at some point in their movie yeah, is that the one where the thesis is basically like when people are praying that like their family members make it out of the operating room? Like, who do you think they're praying to? They're praying to doctors. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, because because he's told he has a god complex, and so he basically justifies having a god complex. And it, you know, it's it's actually like a fun little bit of writing. Yeah, um, it's, it's very it's very writerly, of course, because that's Sorkin. Um, but it's fun, and it like I don't know. It's like one of the standout scenes in what otherwise is like basically you just trying to understand what the hell is happening in this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, another line that just came out uh, that just jumped into my brain is uh, when Nicole, and I don't remember the context, but she says like, yeah, and angels can dance on pinheads, but they don't. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That is so, that is so sorkin. It's like, no one talks like that, especially not someone who's like 32 years old. <laughs> she says it in that outfit when she's wearing that like loosely tucked in red flannel and has a side pony. And it's just... Mm-hmm. It's so it's so good. It's a good look. Yeah. yeah. She looks she looks great in the movie. Her hair looks great. I think this is definitely her real hair, and I think it's one of the last times she's gonna use it. So I tried to <laughs> yeah. bring it up. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely her real hair. Um, which I like I can't imagine anyone coming on the scene today with hair like that and it being allowed. <laughs> yeah, because I mean it's it's stunning but also like you're very you're very aware of like how much maintenance it must require yeah exactly and like i don't know it's cool though because it makes her look like unique and like not like every other human being you know yeah she looks great uh yes the next note that i have is about the first time that we see gwyneth so please stop yeah me too it just says gwyneth in in all caps and exclamation points uh, you want to talk us through what happens with her? Oh, God. Um, so basically, she's in Bill Pullman's office trying to make it, basically making a dog ate my homework excuse. And he's like mocking her and saying like, okay, well, we'll see you next week. And you can guess what happens next week. She doesn't show up. He goes to her house and finds her dead in the bushes. Um and again, this is like the serial killer storyline that gets wrapped up fairly soon after that. And then you're like, wait, then what is the rest of this movie about? Yeah. And the only reason we find out about it is because there's this, uh, there's this like plot device of like, he, he decides the solution is going to be that like the, the Dean secretary will like call her and like give her a wake up call. And that right. only exists that we can realize that when she doesn't show up. And it's like, oof, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty lazy. Um, but it is, she is very young here. Uh, like, to the point where, like, I knew it was her, but, like, it took me a second to register because her face is so, like, brand new. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was Shea Coulee, why are you acting brand new in this movie? She's very young. <laughs> the, I <laughs> I think this is the first movie for the podcast that I've watched with someone. I watched with a friend of mine and like they didn't recognize her. So I was like, okay. Yeah. It took me a second. Um, But you know, she, I don't know. She has nothing to do. And then she dies, which she dies. And then we get, she dies. So we can really get another BB Newworth scene because every time there's attraction there, she'll show up for, for just a spell. It's also where I realized how bad the editing is in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, because there is a shot of uh, BB, like, I think she's taking off her jacket or she's doing something with, like, the lapels of her jacket and her badge. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. like, an A shot of her. And then it's just, like, a reverse shot. And she's just completely still and her arms are down at her sides. And I'm just like, what? Right. And then <laughs> later in the movie with Anne Bancroft, there's a scene where she's shuffling the deck of cards and, like, Mm-hmm. Not with the drink, and then it's a reverse shot to Bill Pullman, and she's just again just completely still. <laughs> like you guys can't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, sense. it's it's before our current editing technology where you can split screen like nothing. I yeah. know this because my job is literally overseeing people editing. <laughs> I said yeah, but I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like I was really <laughs> proud of myself for seeing that in the moment. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like I IMDB continuity section here I fucking come. <laughs> I'm going to tear it up. Yeah, I'm going to roast this movie. Uh the next the next thing I have is the scene at the bar. Uh-huh. Which yeah, is it's god. It's so weird that he like goes to a 
bar after finding one of his students dead to like talk with his pal. It just feels like so like not a thing a human would do. No. And honestly, at this point, it still kind of like lends itself to the narrative that one of them might be the killer. killer. Yeah. Cause yeah. they get this whole speech, which sort of pays off later about like, Bill Pullman says like, I'd give my right arm for a million dollars. And he's like, would you like, would you actually? And they get in this long, long conversation. Right. You're like, someone's losing a limb later. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was another weird thing that went nowhere. Is I was like, wait, is this movie about like trying to sell organs on the black market or something? Well, I mean, someone does lose. Someone does choose to lose organs in the pursuit of money. right. So I guess it does pay That's off. That's true. It just yeah. it's like very ham fisted. Yeah, for sure. Um, also, Alec Baldwin is like constantly chewing ice through this scene and i didn't like that either. it's bad for your enamel i can't imagine the like sound and editors and everyone were probably driven crazy by that like does he have to chew ice yeah phantom thread wishes it was the scene of alec baldwin chewing ice and malice <laughs> yeah instead of just a spoon on teeth um but then like you know nicole comes home and you know has another episode which you know is going to end up with Alec Baldwin operating on her at some point during this movie, you know, when she keeps having problems. Um, and then that, I guess this is where like the plot, like actually kind of kicks in. Yeah. This is when we actually start to see what this movie's about. And it's about an hour into it. Yeah. It's bizarrely structured, but it, also, uh, when God. Alec is like operating on her, I'm like, he was just at the bar, like drinking a ton, which, you know, they bring up later, mm-hmm. but it's still very strange. Yeah. He goes, he goes right there. Uh, all these characters actions make no sense. And I think it's, so it can be ambiguous as to like maybe who the killer is, but it makes even less sense once we realize again, that that's not going to pay off. Uh, but essentially and correct me if I'm wrong here. She has Nicole has like ovarian cysts, and I think one of them is like ruptured. One of them is ruptured, so they take that one out, and then the other one is like mostly fine, but it's like twisted. So he makes the call to take that one out, even though everyone else in the operating room is pretty much like, No, don't like test it first. Um, yeah, when does the go ahead? No, 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 keep going. I was gonna say, when is the the pregnancy thing is discovered in this scene as well. Cause he like goes out and tells yeah. Bill Pullman. Yeah. They discover she's like five weeks pregnant, um, but is going to lose the baby um, because of the trauma and the operation and all that. So he tells Bill Pullman and then asks if he should take out her other ovary, which basically he sets it up like take out her other ovary or she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And then, so they do. And sure enough, we find out that the ovary was fine. Yeah, there's also, again, there's a real close insert shot of that ovary (laughs) just to let us know. Yep, yep. We the audience. Yeah, and here was was when I started to think like, oh, is this going to be about like men making decisions about a woman's body? Is this going to be like some sort of like abortion metaphor? But of course, it's this movie is not interested in that kind of stuff. No, it's not. And in fact, we do get like an abortion storyline later in the movie and it is played for nothing. Yeah. It's just like, she sucks. She had an abortion. Yeah. That's actually, if anything, it's the Genesis of we're told it to learn that that's when Nicole became a con woman, which is like, yikes, yikes. Right. (laughs) Babies, babies are currency. Yikes. It's pretty insensitive. Um, Uh, She wakes up and basically is like, I spoke to a lawyer, like your ass is grass. And at this point, that's when I was like, this is the movie. Like it's all about like Nicole is actually not meek. And that's like partially true, but yeah. Yeah, I thought they did, like, in retrospect, they did a decent enough job of making her enough of a, like, ball buster in the first half, even when she's supposed to be the perfect housewife, that, like, her strength in these moments isn't, like, doesn't seem foreign Mm -hmm. um, or unearned. But, you know, it was weird that it was just like, I'm suing you, I'm leaving you. And then she's, like, gone from the movie almost for... That part... Yeah, the her 
like saying she's gonna sue seems logical but then the next scene of her with suitcases i was like oh it's alec yeah. in suitcases she packed his shit up because he still lives in their home and she's it's like nope she's leaving <laughs> i was like all right yeah she's leaving because her husband made an impossible choice <laughs> yeah they like mostly was spoon fed to him yeah exactly so that was very strange um, um i think so her lawyer is peter gallagher who we've already met because he yeah. was allegedly planning her mother's estate and then we get your god complex speech um, yeah which again we they bring in a harvard ex a harvard expert and someone says god complex and the lawyer is like what's a god complex like please explain yeah. this to me aaron also, george c scott is the like his like old professor or something yes. who's in one scene um, which must have been in the twilight of George C. Scott's career, uh, but was like, well, really? <laughs> How did you get him? Yeah, it it kind of comes out of nowhere. This scene also, and he doesn't have anything to do. He has nothing he to do because like, he doesn't even give that speech. Alec Baldwin gives that speech. He just says God yeah. complex the first time. Yeah, in a very authoritative way, like he does, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, it reminded me of. Did you see Wizard of Lies by chance? The, like, HBO movie. It's fine. They, (laughs) it happens in the movie, obviously, but it also happens in the trailer because Michelle Pfeiffer's in it. And Michelle Pfeiffer has to play the dumb idiot woman. So she has to be the person. Right. What's a Ponzi scheme? And it reminded me of that. Oh, God. Because, like, you need need an idiot on, on set to ask that question so that you can give your, like, fancy auteur explanation. Right. Right. Uh, I think... In this scene, too, Nicole also knows that he was drunk because she says something about it, right? Yeah, at the very, after his whole speech, he, like, walks out very righteously, and then she says, like, ask him how many bourbons he had before he, like, ripped me open or whatever. So then we think it's, like, a legal thing, mm-hmm. a legal thriller for a brief second. Yeah, it's Aaron, it's Aaron it's Brockovich like, for, like, six and a half minutes. Yeah, and then we basically find out that like Alec Baldwin's screwed, and he's you know on the fe- on the hook for like twenty million dollars or something like that. Yeah, he says like um, to his lawyer, "You know anything over ten million, and I'd never be able to like get my license." And they say either like somewhere in the range of twenty to thirty, right? Which I guess the hospital is paying, not Alec Baldwin. Right. Um, the uh, but then. F- from there, is it from there when the serial killer storyline completely wraps up? Yes, because it starts with, and this is really inconsequential, but it starts with B.B. Um, Newworth asking uh, Bill Pullman a question about something, and he's like, I can't even think about breakfast without crying. And I was just like, mood. But yeah, talk us through, <laughs> talk us through the serial killer stuff, because it's unwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then he goes to get a light bulb, um, goes into the janitor's weird, creepy bedroom, discover locks of hair, which they only mention, like, in dialogue that the killer or rapist is taking people's hair. Um, and then he has, like, a fight with the janitor who turns out to be the killer and gets beat up, but then wins, I guess. And then that's literally the end of the serial killer storyline. Yeah. The janitor is um, the guy that plays Jigsaw in the Saw movies. Yeah. And yeah, uh, which you see him earlier in the movie and you're like, Hmm. Oh, I wonder if if he's anything bad. (laughs) Um, I also was thinking that the serial killer in this movie could be Reynolds Woodcock because of the like desire to keep a lock of people's (laughs) hair so close to him. Um, but it's not as exciting as that. It's just like Tobin Bell shoves no. Bill Pullman into um, like a really large air canister pretty hard. And that ends up being what yeah. he like hits him with at the end, like incapacitated. Also a fake wall because it fucking moves when he oh, gets yeah. thrown it was into like, it. I wrote that it was like the workroom in Drag Race where sometimes if people move too fast, the, the wall can <laughs> start to like... It's just a curtain, <laughs> curtain with bricks printed on it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this is a total sidebar, but it's a little bit different now that they have the new workroom in season 10, but they had announced mm-hmm. that for DragCon this coming year that they were going to have, like, they were going to build the workroom. And I saw so many people be like, how? And I'm like, have you ever watched the, like, have you ever watched a single episode of Untucked where they just show, like, the backside of water and you see that it's just curtains? Right. 
Yeah, it's nothing. Anyway. Uh, and you've seen it. You see it move whenever a, a queen walks swiftly. <laughs> right. <laughs> when... What are we introduced? Where? What room are they in? Or like, what place are they in where they see that CPR dummy? Because that's the next thing that I have. I think it's... I can't remember if it's the police station or the hospital. No, it's definitely the... It's He's talking to BB New Earth. I'm not sure where, honestly. It doesn't like, matter. It's very nondescript. Oh, but. you know what? It must be the... It must be the hospital because she's there and they talk about it. And again, long lingering shots in the CPR dummy, but then doesn't a doctor come and tell him he's sterile. So it must be at the hospital. Cause this is where he finds that out. Right. Who t- is it? Brenda yeah, strong. Is it Brenda strong? that yeah. I, I wrote down Sue Ellen Mishke and Mary Alice. <laughs> because yeah, I'm, God. She, she's so striking. And I just like want to follow her and everything she's ever in. She's like, this woman looks like she could own a boardroom. She's stunning. And like, it's one of those things where you see the way someone's shot in like a movie or usually a TV show. And you're like, oh, I can tell this character is going to be important later. Like this character isn't an extra. And I feel that so hard every time I see her. So the fact that she just gets to come out and say like, you're sterile. And then tap dance off screen and never to be seen again. I'm just like, ah, justice. Also before this, Joshua Molina from... West Wing and Scandal is briefly there, which is funny because he's in almost all of Sorkin's work. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, which, this is actually year after A Few Good Men. Yeah. And then he's in Sports Night and West Wing eventually and all that stuff. So I was like, did Aaron Sorkin like go to bat for his friend to have like a, a tiny role as like a doctor telling Bill Pullman something and then walking away? I, I guess so, yeah. Because uh, he would have already he would have already done the play of A Few Good Men at this point, so they would have already known each right. other. So this wouldn't be the first favor. Right. Um, right. So he's sterile, meaning that, like, Nicole's baby couldn't have been his, so he immediately is like, Alec Baldwin? Uh, yeah. And also I think... Which was a very strange logic jump to be like, I'm going to go to him and talk to him about it. And this is going to help us with the case, which they kind of like try to say is like, she's not as much of a saint as she's portraying herself, but I'm still like, that has nothing to do with the fact that she can't have kids anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They're completely unrelated. Um, Who, who tells Bill Pullman to go see her mother and says like, she's not dead. If you want to get something out of her, like bring a bottle of single malt. It's, it's Peter Gallagher. Um, because he says something about her mother and and Bill Pullman's like, what? Her mother's been dead for 12 years. You were the one handling the estate. And he's right. like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he won't tell him details, but he says, you know, find her and bring her a bottle of scotch. So we get that scene, which, I mean, if you thought Anne Bancroft's best work was The Graduate, I would direct you to a whole <laughs> movie called Alice, and I would say, yeah enjoy yeah because she's playing for the rafters here she is she like walks in to this movie from like a tennessee williams play and is just like over the top like ball busting kind of tragic figure but you know she's she's great i loved it it's good since you mentioned tennessee williams can we go on a sidebar for a brief second and talk about how that tweet that someone had about how Miss Vanjie exiting Drag Race was like the end of a Tennessee Williams play and how that's the funniest tweet I've ever seen. <laughs> I didn't see that, but that's beautiful and and so right. Oh, it's one of two tweets that I have like bookmarked and like the new bookmarks feature. The other one being um, uh, a tweet of Kathy Bates in Fried Green Tomatoes, but instead of saying Tawanda, it says Wakanda. <laughs> those are the only two things i've ever found funny on twitter and i will keep them forever oh that is that is wonderful i just found one yesterday and it's so stupid and it's so basic and easy but it's that kid yodeling in walmart but like turned into a disco track and it's and it's like camille dancing to it thank you t kyle mack for for bringing us camille (laughs) dancing to the edm remix of walmart yeah 
Yeah, that just had me laughing hysterically. And I was like, I know that this is so easy, but I don't care. No, it's good. It's like how there were so many of those army ha- and like Timmy Timothy dances to blank. Like every once in a while, like it would right. be the 50th one I'd seen. And I'm like, but this one is good. Yeah, that and like when they alter people's voices on Drag Race, um, they like modify them. There was just one they did for Miss Vanjie, of course, and... Even though, like, the Miss Vanjie thing is so overplayed at this point, it still made me laugh hysterically. Oh, it's so good. Um, I think the wildest... Anyways. I think the wildest thing Anne Bancroft says in this scene is she talks... First of all, she tells Bill Pullman that Nicole's dad was the second best con man in Boston. And I'm like, why not? Right. Why not the first? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I love the line where she says, like... Um, like essentially like Nicole didn't bat an eye when he cleaned out our bank accounts, but I think she was like heartbroken when he took the $200 in the mattress. Right. <laughs> she's like oh, she's, sobbing. She saved all of the money she got and he took it. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is when you find out that Nicole's basically, you know, a con artist and a villain. And it's while this scene is amazing, it's kind of weird that you find out this information, like, with Nicole not on screen. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like the next time you see her, she's now a villain, but I don't know. It was just kind of weird. It's like, I would have loved to see like her getting caught and having to out herself as the villain. Uh, well, I can tell you where you can see that because this movie structurally is in a lot of ways, almost identical to birthday girl. Oh really? Yeah. Because the plot of that movie is she's a Russian male order bride and she gets right. brought here and then like her like friend, these people that we think are her friends show up and then like plot twist, they're actually running this like sting where they get like pasty white men to like fork over all their money or this guy works in a bank. So they force him to like right. rob his own bank. But like there are so many right. bits of this that are almost identical in the way that like Nicole has to like tonally flip and like the things that they ask her to do. There's that scene right. where the two of them are in the bar and, um, like they each, she they, he orders like two drinks for them or whatever, and it's like identical to a scene right. in Birthday Girl where they're like having the same conversation. It, it's it's identical, same movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, but so we find out she's a con man, and I'm like, I still and maybe I missed something. I cannot figure out for the life of me why she married Bill Pullman and why that was a part of the con at all. It, I guess. I guess she just needs. She just needed like a wholesome background. She doesn't even need a husband because the pregnancy thing is really what throws the whole thing off. It's actually like not part of the con. Uh, Right. And they say later, like the pregnancy was added at the last minute by her. You can be a woman with ovarian cysts and not be married. So I don't see what the problem is. (laughs) In fact, it would be a lot easier. And like, he's a associate Dean at a college. He's, not going to be someone worth ripping off and she doesn't rip him off. So I'm so baffled why she's married to him because she just tosses him aside. No problem. And it's like, okay, I guess maybe if she's a con woman and she's like waiting to strike this con to make money, she like can't be living with Alec Baldwin really. And like, maybe she doesn't have money. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. It makes no sense. <laughs> That's like the one thing that I was like, I cannot like logically figure out why she married him. Cause she clearly doesn't give a shit. I, couldn't spend that much time thinking about that in this scene because I was too busy laughing at when Anne Bancroft yells, welcome to the game, right in Bill Pullman's <laughs> face. <laughs> and then also, like, throws a card at him and screams. She has, like, the Jack of Diamonds or some shit. <laughs> yeah, and she's had it for, like, she, she's had it for at least 10 minutes because she makes him do that card trick begrudgingly at the beginning of the, of the scene and she holds on right. to it. There's some more bad editing. I will... I, I mean, I loved it. I loved her scene, and I loved when she, like, stopped the conversation to talk about the scotch, a single malt, and how long it had been. I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> like, it makes no sense for this movie, but I love it. Yeah, she she has a lot to say about, like, blended whiskeys and how happy she is to have yeah. a single malt. Um, she yeah. also tells us about the... There's, like, a Degas sculpture that they have on their hall tree next to that framed photo newspaper article. Right. And that's, again, shown with lingering focus. And uh, right. oh, those, they're a fake. You can get them for like $69.99 at Macy's or something. And then we'll see like some yeah. of them before the movie's over. 
Right. And I'm also like, you really thought your wife owned an original Degas? Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> um, but I don't know. This scene is like a standout for me in this movie. Oh, it's completely bonkers, but it's undeniably like so enjoyable. Yeah. Um, this is also the point where like we now know exactly what the movie is. So the movie like really right. goes into that and everything after this is like bananas bonkers. Um, most yep. of it takes things just that crazy house. Start twisting like crazy. There is twisted as one of Nicole's ovaries. <laughs> yeah. After this, we find out basically that Alec and Nicole are together and they're, they've been conning people, I guess. Um, and then what happens after that? I, well, I, so we I know- find out that they're conning him because they show up, they get home like to their beach house and Bill Pullman's in there. Like he's like hiding. Right. So when Nicole he- says like, take me upstairs and fuck me, he's just like standing there seeing that. Um, and then right. they like go to have sex and she lays down on the bed or he like puts her on the bed and like, there's just a needle in her back because he's right. found it and now knows that uh, Nicole has been uh, repeatedly injected with Pergonol shots, um, which uh-huh. is a fertility drug, but in large quantities causes ovarian cysts. Alec Baldwin has been administering these um, to facilitate right. this con that they are on. And Bill Pullman says right. like, I have a witness to you right. being shot up with this and we're like who the fuck could the witness be who was in their house it's the, it's the little boy it's the little boy surely he must have seen alec baldwin inject her with one of these pergonol shots at just the right angle he watches them have sex every night <laughs> uh so he's like i'm in on your con i'm wise i want half at one point nicole says i'm running this show which reminded me of august Osage county um Right. Where Julia Roberts gets to yell, I am running things now. Uh, and Also, this is like the most fun Nicole gets to be in the movie because she's like trying to play coy at first, then like drops the whole act and then becomes like enraged and shatters a wine glass with her hand. Oh, that's um, the scene. Yeah, that's the scene that I thought was like birthday girl because she's like so stressed out that she shatters that wine glass like Ramona Singer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Anne Cusack is their waitress. Um, yeah, but yeah, they ask her. That was they ask her. Bill Pullman looks at her and he's like, "Do you know what Pergonol is?" <laughs> yeah, which was so freaking weird. There's a couple random sides of this movie that I'm like, "What?" Um, but that Sorkin, he always puts in something random to make it feel like real. I guess. Yeah, it's like talking about Pirates of Penzance. Oh Jesus Christ. That's like the one thing when I was like in love with West Wing growing up that I was like, can we please stop talking about what Gilbert and Sullivan or whatever? Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like no one is like this except for you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think so after Nicole has that conversation, she goes back to the house and then um, like tells Alec Baldwin all of this and she ends up pulling a gun on him. And then mm-hmm. she shoots him twice in what would right. be his ovary area that was not missed <laughs> by me. I like to assume that that's purposeful. Sure, why not? Just because she gets him twice, right in the right in the abdomen. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's holding his abdomen when he goes down. And then uh, she's on her car phone because she's <laughs> on she's on like the street that her and Bill Pullman used to live on. And uh, right. you're like, oh shit, she's gonna go fuck up Bill Pullman. Um, it also reminded me of the scene in Rabbit Hole where she's like in her car parked for a very long time, like staring at the kid. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she doesn't go into their house. She goes into the kid's house because she's going to kill a child. Right. Which is one of the reasons she killed Alec is because he didn't have the stomach to kill a child. <laughs> Do you see what you did there by saying he doesn't have the stomach? Oh. He literally doesn't have one because it got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love jokes. I love humor. <laughs> um, also not was. the first time that she's killed a child because in the first five minutes of dead calm she kills her child on accident oh <laughs> sorry right. oh that's what i was gonna say not to talk about twitter again but uh there was a thread going around today when you were talking about having seen dead calm that was like what's the like saddest or essentially like what's a movie that you've watched once that you can never watch again and people are just like dance in the dark dance in the dark but someone said dead calm and i was like really 
Like that's heavy. That's heavy at the beginning, but that's like it's a right. it's a dummy of a child, and then like that's that's it. I don't know. I thought it was weird. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what my answer would be to be honest, because I don't find sad things sad. <laughs> no, I don't know. I like I rewatched Dogville for the podcast the other day, and like that is some heavy shit. But like never would I. I've like, never I seen Dogville. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> okay, it's, I should watch that. Yeah, I just like. Never would I be like, I, I could never watch that again. It's simply too too tragic. Yeah. Mine's like Crash. Like, I could never watch that again because it enrages me. Not because it's sad. Yeah, that's that's better. I, man, what's, oh, I could never watch, and I've said it before, like, I'll, I'll never watch Darkest Hour again. Oh, I couldn't even, I got a screener of it. I still couldn't watch it. I mean, I took myself to see it because I was like, I should, and, uh. I know. I know. I feel like you're a good uh, cinephile and I've gotten worse and worse where I like, I'm like, I know I'm not going to like this movie, so I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> it's it's awful. I made myself laugh so hard yesterday because I just tweeted, happy birthday, Ben Mendelsohn. I'm sorry you had to be in Darkest Hour, which like no one liked. But it was a joy to me. And sometimes I just tweet like, congrats, Lily James. But that's beside the point. Um, but how does how does Nicole try to kill this child? Since you were so ready to talk about this pain. Oh well, if you remembered in her very first scene, she stops a child from putting a plastic bag over his head. So guess how she tries to kill this child with a plastic bag? It's so subtle. Yeah, um, but it's um, actually when she like puts it over what you can obviously tell is a dummy. Um, when she puts it over his head and it tilts back and its eyes open, I was like, this might be the only successful stylistic thing in this entire movie. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the CPR dummy and surprise. It was yet another twisty turn in this movie. And it was a setup by detective BB Newworth and, uh, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Yeah. Um, Which but BB Newworth the only- is undercover, by the way. She's deep undercover because yeah. she's wearing a nurse's costume. <laughs> yeah, she's the one. She's the mom. She's dressed up as the mom when she leaves. Um, but honestly, I was like shocked that it ended like so quickly. Like, yeah, she puts the bag over. He grabs her. They fall. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it was just like there's like not oh, even like no, a no, 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 and that's not quite it because there's one. Aaron Sorkin couldn't leave well enough alone. He does one. No, thing. there's one more twist before this, <laughs> before this movie ends. And I remembered this like probably 120 seconds before it happened, and I was just I mean I couldn't stop myself from laughing before it even happened because when it actually happens, it is so ridiculous. It is such a fuck you. I'm an author. Like, let me have my last laugh. Aren't I clever? But please tell us what it is. So as Nicole's being escorted away, um, you know, from trying to murder a child, we find out that the child is blind (laughs) and has been blind the whole time, which I guessed because his stare was so, like, direct and blank. I was like, is he blind? Is that, like, (laughs) otherwise this is really disturbing that they're having sex in front of him. It's, <laughs> it's so dumb. And it's like, cause we, ugh, I hate it. Like we see the kid like get ushered out of a police car. So like they obviously take him and like everyone's in on this sting. And it's like, it's completely works if he's not blind. Like if he's a kid that's seen things right. and they're just protecting him, but Aaron Sorkin can't right. wait to just be like, look at this. It's the prestige of this movie is the reveal. Of the kid's right. Blind. It's like, they couldn't even, they, they couldn't even be like, Never mind, the kid never saw anything, or like that was all a bluff. They have to literally make it so the kid never could have seen anything ever because he's blind. It also operates under the premise that you don't know that your next door neighbor, like, not only is blind, but like he's using a walking stick. Like, you've never seen that child outside right. once in your life. <laughs> anyway, when, that's the end of the movie. When I, <laughs> when I saw that that stick i like trixie screamed like oh my god <laughs> you've oh, got honey. to be kidding me oh <laughs> oh honey anyway i love the yeah movie. yeah it's it like as ludicrous as it is it's at least entertaining it's directed very poorly like it, you probably see more interesting shots uh in like you know an abc procedural um <clears throat> although it was shot by gordon willis who was the cinematographer for like the Godfather movies. 
I'm looking at uh, Harold Becker's filmography, and I haven't seen a single one of these movies. I don't even think I've heard yeah. of a single one of these movies. So I can't most remember. of them, I've seen like I've seen his like last three movies, like Domestic Disturbance, Mercury Rising, City Hall. I couldn't tell you a thing about them. He directed some Madonna videos. <laughs> oh, that's fun. He directed Crazy for You, um, but yeah, like the movie is not very like stylish. <laughs> no, but it's super fun. It is fun. It is fun. Like it's so ridiculous that like you can either like point out all the plot holes or just like have a good time with it. And I had a good time with it. I did too. Uh, do you do you have any stray thoughts, or do you feel just ready to jump right into the uh, the ranking? Yeah, I don't think I think I've covered like pretty much everything I noticed in this movie as we were talking about it. Um, I I think I did too. I will say once again, justice for Brenda Strong because I think that she's yes. underserved, and I one day she'll get a, a vehicle that is worthy of her talents. Um, oh, also, this was co-written by Scott Frank, who was just nominated for an Oscar for Logan and wrote Out of Sight and Minority Report and Get Shorty. Oh, did <laughs> Which he? I'm like, <laughs> did his, is, he, is he the one that had, like, is Logan the screenplay that, like, everyone is, like, wilding out about because, like, there's, like, so much, like, expository, like, setup in all of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, like, he's a good writer. He directed a good movie called The Lookout, too. He wrote and directed that. Um, that's, like, a fun little crime thriller. Um but it's like two like you know fairly successful screenwriters but sorkin has like talked about how the movie like was out of his control completely and like oh he, they made him write he wrote the interpreter sex scene for nicole oh he did yeah well he wrote it with two other people but yeah he, he wrote the interpreter he's like really famous for like writing first drafts of things and then like the studio taking it and basically like you know watering it down yeah he did a, he did a draft of a little movie called minority report yeah exactly um all right well let's do this let's let's write this movie um okay i'm gonna give you some one through fives five being the highest uh these can be on the movie as a whole or they can be about just nicole really it's your job to to figure out whatever scale you want to write it on um but okay. uh if you score high you might win the uh the coveted golden compass award um <laughs> god thank you does that mean i'm never heard from again uh yeah it means that kate bush writes an original song for you and then you're never heard from again <laughs> great uh so this first one is going to be the wigs in the movie one through five okay um is anyone wearing a wig i don't think she she's not i don't think she is i don't think so, Brenda strong is i don't think bb newworth is yeah so i don't know that's like not applicable the, the dummy is wearing a wig at the end, and that one I clocked from a mile away, so one. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what do you think about the accent work in this movie? Oh, my God. Um, Nicole's great. Um, like, uh, I'd give her, like, a four, because there's a few times where it gets a little funky, but she's great. B.B. Uh, Newer, <laughs> I almost want to give it a five, because it's so bad it's entertaining. Yeah, I mean, B.B. Newerwith and Anne Bancroft coming in, Honestly, if you gave it a five, yeah. I wouldn't be mad. Yeah, no, I'm going to give it a five because they're at least very entertaining interpretations of a Boston accent. Great. Uh, this one bears a little bit of explanation. Uh, this is the Naomi Watts scale. So a high score on this is mm-hmm. going to signify to you um, some sort of connection uh, to of Naomi Watts to the movie. So like to her and Nicole text about it. Um, did she visit her on right. set? Did she audition for it? Did she audition to be the dummy? Did she audition to be going to Paltrow? <laughs> That sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, wait. Which is hot? Which means a five like would be like a five, five would be like she got a, a screenwriting credit for it. Okay. I think like I think you're. I think a three. I think she probably actually did try to get that Gwyneth role, or or even Young Woman in Peril in the beginning. Yeah. There's honestly no um, reason that that she couldn't have been Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. I think. I think she probably. I think Nicole at least like passed her headshot to the director and was like, come on. So I think there was some, there's actual acknowledgement that this movie exists from, um, from Naomi Watts. Great. Three it is. Uh, This next one is approachability. So if you see uh, Nicole's character of Tracy, 
Mm-hmm. Like a, a dinner function or like a small get together, how likely are you to strike up a conversation with her? Um, I feel like not super likely because she's like pretty standoffish to everyone but her husband in the beginning and then in the end she's like a literal murderer so i would say a two cool yeah i do like in your world that being a murderer isn't an automatic one you know what i mean no i mean it's interesting at least it's a conversation starter uh okay this Next one uh, is the Scientology scale. So a five for this would be um, a movie that is just in complete uh, opposition to the values of Scientology. It would be the most suppressive movie possible. This would be, and a one would be like your Battlefield Earth. (laughs) Right. Um, I think this, well, hmm, they acknowledge like abortion and stuff like that, which I don't know if they're against, but I'm sure they are. Um, She's a literal murderer, but hmm, she doesn't talk about therapy being great. So it's not that suppressive. So uh, four. Cool. I realized in doing this scale that like, I barely know what I mean by that because I don't actually know that much about Scientology. So really it's just a fun exercise <laughs> for me to shut up and like listen to people <laughs> try and justify it. I like, I like know quite a bit, but still it's hard because I don't know their like viewpoints on everything. Look, I know everything that Leah Remini has taught me. That's, that's it. true. When I get her on the pod, <laughs> she will have, <laughs> when I get her to do the episode on God, I don't even know when she does the Aquaman episode with me. I'll be sure to have her explain, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> explain it to all of I did Perfect. tweet today, because, this is so stupid, I'm going to probably cut this, but Barry Jenkins tweeted like his top 10 favorite scores of all time, and the birth score was on there, and I just quote tweeted it and said, like, Barry Jenkins, come on the Kid Manifesto challenge. <laughs> so yes. if you, if for some That'd reason be. I never air your episode, it's because Barry Jenkins and I talked to, uh, about Malice instead. <laughs> uh, I'll gladly defer to him. Um this last one is just overall level of iconicness. Uh, so five would be like, my mother knows about this movie. Everyone knows about this movie. It changed Nicole's career. A one would be like, um, trespass, not to throw trespass under the bus. Oh God. I mean, this is like, it's a probably two because when it came out, it did like decently and like it made like a decent amount of money. There's like big stars in it. It came out in the theater. Yeah, it was number one. So like, opening week. Yeah. So around its time, it was, like, known. Now, you ask anyone, and they're like, what? Um, but, you know, I say it, too, because it also has, like, the Aaron Sorkin-ness of it all. So it's at least something to watch for that as well. Um, okay. So this gives you a 17 out of 30. Uh, and in a Sorkinian twist of fate, that means you were also tied with Scott Frank's other Nicole movie, The Interpreter. So I feel like that ended up right where it needed to be. Wow. Kiss me. Uh, yeah. You're just behind. Um, you're only one point behind Bewitched. You're a point behind uh, BMX Bandits. You're on par with Days of Thunder. Oh, my God. You, uh, you're a point. Um, let's see. I'll give you one more. You're a point behind Rabbit Hole. It's not a bad place to be. Okay. I'll take Great. it. Um, John, if you're okay with that, I have one last task for you. Yes. Okay, so uh, I've said this before, but for the sake of saying it to you, um, in in lieu of, of talking about Big Little Lies, a task that is just uh, simply too Herculean for one man to do himself, um, I'm having uh-huh. everyone else do it for me. Uh, the only okay. real challenge is I'm having them do it in 60 seconds. Uh, so oh my God. coming up real soon, you will get a chance to explain uh, the entire plot of season one of Big Little Lies um, in a minute. Oh, okay. So whenever you're ready, feel free to just go for it. All right, here we go. So it's about a young mother moving to a clicky uh, coast, California coastal town and falling in with Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman, making friends, but also making an enemy with Laura Dern. Um, also, we it starts with us knowing someone dies at a party that they're all attending, but we don't know who and we don't know the circumstances. So that's kind of like the big hanging thing over the whole season. So... She makes an enemy of Laura Dern, the young woman. We find out Nicole Kidman is a battered wife. 
Um, she goes to therapy with Robin Weiger, and I bring that up just because no one talks about Robin Weiger enough because she's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and she slowly realizes that she needs to move out. Um, what's happening with Reese? I don't even remember, to be honest. It was not the strongest stuff. Oh, she like makes out with uh, a theater teacher or something. Um, so then they all come together for some party. Oh, God. <laughs> that was pretty good. You got most of the season. Yeah, I got through most of it except for the party. <laughs> you could have gotten to the party if you had spent less time talking about Robin Weiger, but honestly, you made the right choice. Yeah, I I will always talk about Robin Weiger instead of uh, being, you know, succinct with my words. I think, I think by the time this airs, you might be like the second person to talk about her, but in like the 25 to 30 of these that exist, uh, that's far too few, in my opinion. Yeah. Also, she's coming back for season two. I know. Her and Marin Dungy. I couldn't be more excited. I know. Um, okay. Before we go, I do have one last question, which is, yeah. uh, is there something from the movie or something related to the movie or really just anything in general that you want us to be played out to before we uh, say goodbye to each other? Um, I want to be played out to to um, some part of Baldwin's uh, God Complex speech. Great. That was easy. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast, you can do that on Twitter at The Kid Manifesto. You'll find me tweeting at Barry Jenkins um, yeah. and interacting oh, with... Also, <laughs> Go ahead. also watch uh, Sneaky Pete on Amazon because I produce that show and it's really good. Uh, that's the perfect plug. That should absolutely be. Um, yeah. I think that's it. I think we did it. Awesome. John, thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Uh, I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. The question is, do I have a God complex? Dr. Kessler says yes. Which makes me wonder if this lawyer has any idea as to the kind of grades one has to receive in college to be accepted at a top medical school. If you have the vaguest clue as to how talented someone has to be to lead a surgical team. I have an MD from Harvard. I am board certified in cardiothoracic medicine and trauma surgery. I have been awarded citations from seven different medical boards in New England, and I am never, ever sick at sea. So I ask you, when someone goes into that chapel and they fall on their knees and they pray to God that their wife doesn't miscarry or that their daughter doesn't bleed to death or that their mother doesn't suffer acute neural trauma from post-operative shock, who do you think they're praying to? Now, you go ahead and read your Bible, Dennis, and you go to your church and with any luck you might win the annual raffle, but if you're looking for God, he was in operating room number two on November 17th, and he doesn't like to be second-guessed. You ask me if I have a God complex? Let me tell you something. I am God. <laughs>